0: You are listening to the Bend Don't Break podcast. My name is Aaron Schweitzer. I'm the publisher of The Source Weekly, and I'm joined by Laurel Bronze, reporter for The Source as well. This podcast is sponsored by Bend Pet Express. They are your best local source for healthy products for pets since 1993. Order online at bendpetexpress.com for free deliveries or daily curbside pickup from 9 to 5 p.m. Thank you, Ben Pet Express, for being there for us. And we are joined on our podcast today by Damon Runberg. Damon is the state economist with the Oregon Employment Department. He covers Central Oregon and the Klamath Basin, concentrates on employment, unemployment studies for each county, tracks economic trends affecting the economy. A native Oregonian and has lived in Bend for 10 years uh, earned a master of public policy from OSU and is a prolific writer and presenter on regional economies in Oregon. Uh, Damon, thanks for joining. Hey, my pleasure. Happy to be here. I'm sure you've had a, uh, had a pretty busy day. Uh,
1: yeah, yeah. It turns out that, uh, when there's, uh, a, a, a pandemic crisis that labor economists turn out to be uh, a pretty important people at those times.
0: Yeah. I was wondering, we were talking about the mixed, uh, feelings that people have about the employment department right now and a lot of the positive and negative you're getting but on your side economists i mean you're you're second to god right now
1: i don't know if i put it that way but (laughs) uh yeah it's interesting you know our we have probably the largest state agency and not probably we are the largest state agency in in oregon and uh and the unemployment insurance division is a, a separate arm from the the research work that we do as labor economists but um Recently we've uh, we've become much more intricately tied because uh, they've realized uh they need as much help as they can getting information out and communication. And uh so I've I've really quickly become an expert on unemployment insurance.
0: Yeah, I bet. As you're um I mean, give it give, try to give us some insight into like pre-pandemic, post-pandemic. I mean, how is your how has your life changed? Like, what I mean, how much public presentations were you doing compared to what you're doing now? How much forward facing were you?
1: Yeah, I was always fairly f- uh, public facing. And that was, I think, some of that's personality driven. I'd rather sit and engage with people than sit behind my computer screen. Um, but uh, the sheer volume of, of uh, curiosity about what we're seeing on the unemployment situation today means that um, every day, you know, three or four updates I'm giving through Zooms or other teleservices on on telling people what we're seeing across the state of Oregon right now and, and the severity of the unemployment situations. So I would say um, uh, things haven't changed as far as being uh, public facing, but uh, except for the the uh, extent of it, it's uh, it's you know 80 percent of my life right now is uh, is talking.
0: Yeah, how much, um, given that, that you're, you know, you got to do so much communicating. I mean, how much time do you have to dive into the numbers? Are you actually one of the number crunchers, statistician? Yeah,
1: typically I am, yeah. (laughs) That's (laughs) normally what I'm paid to do is uh, is do a lot of the analysis myself. I I have an analyst that works with me who's amazing uh, and has been incredibly helpful. Um, but yeah, I, I, I don't really, we don't have a lot of support outside of um, ourselves. So I do a lot of the analysis myself and I do it as quickly as I can, because I know I've got um, a lot of talking about the information that's coming right afterwards. So uh, yeah, for the most part, I mean, understanding what's going on with unemployment insurance, claim filing um, is relatively easy math. So I'm thankful for that. Um, it's, uh, it's big numbers, but not very complex analysis.
0: Yeah. Hey. So, before we jump in and start talking about Ben's economy and 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 those numbers, I am curious your background. I was looking looking a little bit at your LinkedIn profile before we got on here, and um, you started out uh, out of grad school as a policy consultant for uh, invasive invasive weed council. How does yeah. how how you got to draw a line for me from from there to where you're sitting today?
1: Yeah, it's actually kind of funny story. My my uh, when I was in grad school, I focused on natural resource economics, and so I thought that I'd be looking at timber yields or water resources or something like that as a career, and and sort of started in that direction. And then uh, and then the Great Recession happened, and uh, it made it so that uh, you know jobs were few and far between, and people couldn't be choosy. So I ended up actually going from there and getting a job as a policy analyst in the unemployment insurance division of the employment department. So. Uh, it feels a little bit back to the future for me that uh, I started with the employment department in the midst of the Great Recession and unemployment insurance, and uh, I'm talking about it again in, in uh, the Great
0: Lockdown, I guess, is what we're calling it now. What kind of um, what what kind of stats or tracking do you do on invasive weeds?
1: <laughs> I actually did more uh, public perception and like analyzing marketing efforts, so it was uh their their goal was trying to get the word out at campgrounds about the impact of of certain practices and yeah. my job as a, as an analyst was to try to to actually gather data on what people's perceptions were and and how to drive marketing in in a, a more effective direction so i wasn't actually dealing with the weeds themselves thank goodness
0: yeah so you weren't it, it isn't a thing where you're counting napweed in a
1: no thank god yeah <laughs>
0: <laughs> right um, well, one of the things that uh, I noticed, too, is that you are—you um, wrote a paper on um, timber to tourism transition. So I imagine some of your background there translated into what you found there. Yeah, I'm always really, you know, I, I always try to sneak
1: as many uh, research pieces in on natural resources as I can. There is definitely a lot of interest here in Central Oregon on the impact that sort of that history of of, of natural resources that we have had and continue to have here. Um, is always, I think, a, a point of interest for folks. So I, I can always rope my personal interest in with uh, some of the research every once in a
0: while. Well, Bend, ha- Bend has quite, for quite a long time now been pointed to as the poster child for making that transition. Is that what you found? Actually, not really. Uh, interestingly- interesting. the myth of it, so that's yes. <laughs> what I was curious.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, we definitely have had a transition where, where timber and wood product was- um, was critically important uh here locally, and then you know became less important as we moved through time. however, this notion the real myth is that uh that tourism uh took over the timber and wood product sector that we saw saw this transition from you know we we harvest wood to um we now recreate in the woods and that 's what bend has done and in reality, we saw that um you know really going back for the last thirty years or so um tourism has played a pretty steady role in our economy. um, And there was never really a big transition from wood products to tourism. Instead, we saw a transition from wood products to construction. And then after the Great Recession, that transition from construction to professional services. But through it all, um, tourism has been a, a pretty steady component of our economy that whole time.
0: Yeah, but I mean, it's, if I'm understand it's kicked quite a bit here in the last couple of years. I mean it's gobbling up a bigger percentage, is it not? Uh, per, uh,
1: tourism: No, actually no it's actually stayed uh, through this expansion actually we saw you know minor reductions in tourism as a share of our total economy. Um, it is growing as far as the number of jobs and, and uh, the size as a whole um, but relative to the growth we're seeing in other industries, it's, uh, it's, it hasn't really taken any market share.
0: Huh, yeah. I mean, you know, when you uh, when you hear the, at least politically in Bend, all the talk about how, what an expansion tourism is having and what a, it's the lion's share of attention with regard to talking about affordable housing and, and things in that sector, I'm surprised at that. Does that surprise you or do you think there's an inordinate amount of noise around that?
1: There is, I think there is an unnecessary amount of noise, a disproportionate amount of noise about people complaining about tourism—that's for sure. I mean, I think um, we do. By the numbers, we know that we do have a larger tourism industry than the average average uh, community. That's for sure. Um, but you know, our share of jobs in the tourism sector look a lot more like, say, San Diego, California, uh, than they do like um, Flagstaff, Arizona, or Vale, Colorado, or you know, some of these other real you know ski destinations or something like that.
0: Do you now, I mean, I know it's kind of hard to predict, but would you see, given given the way we're going to be crawling out of the economy, do you, I mean, would tourism be something people are looking to hang their hat on? Yeah, you know, the
1: last time around, you know, our our, our most recent example of what a recovery looks like is obviously the the Great Recession. And, and um, you know, oftentimes as much criticism as tourism gets, um, you know, I will say in this particular instance, this is going to be a, a a shock or is a shock that's disproportionately impacting tourism um, but in our last recovery it was tourism that sort of greased the wheels for our recovery. Um, it took a long time for some of the other industries that were hard hit to start adding jobs but relatively quickly we, found, we find that these regional tourism destinations um, end up being one of the quickest recoveries because maybe you can't afford to go to uh, Hawaii or maybe go to that trip to Europe that you were planning on, but you might be able to afford to drive across the valley or across from the valley and um, go skiing at Mount bachelor for the weekend or something like that. And and I think we're going to see the same thing in this, in this upcoming recovery, which is um, instead of it being more of a, maybe a financial limitation, it's going to be a fear of flying in planes or a fear of, of being in big, big cities or something like that. And so um, this, this idea that um, tourism's hard hit is definitely true. Um, but I think our tourism industry is sort of more situated to recover quicker than, you know, your, your Hawaii's of the world.
0: When you look, I know your, your focus is is on this side of the Cascades, but with a lot of the information that's rolling out about the impact that the coast is taking, what do you see for those guys? I mean, they seem like, of the, of the Oregon economy, they seem like the ones that, I don't know, deserve the most attention. Or, yeah, yeah you know, definitely.
1: Yeah, they're definitely getting hit the hardest i mean we're we're probably second hardest you know compared to them um, but those coastal communities have significantly less diverse economies i mean as much as a, a tourism base that we do have here um in the last 10 years you know bend and central oregon more broadly has dramatically altered what the landscape of our economy looks like and so I think that's not the case in the in the coastal community so for them i mean that's why they're seeing over you know 20 percent of their Workforce is is really being laid off at this point point in a lot of these coastal towns
0: Let me um, This is kind of just a question that that I I have and I know the number exists out here but my understanding was that when you look at GDP and I think this is more on a national trend that you can tie drops in GDP to mortality rates and um, rates of divorce and things of that nature do you, is is that the case is there are there figures out there for that
1: kind of i mean there's some there's definitely some some loose correlations between um you know certain outcomes and and how the economy more broadly is doing it makes perfect sense too if you actually think about it from like a rational level i have to make the case for folks that um you know we try to you know there's this this dialogue right now you know do we um do we um, preserve human health and protect public health, or do we open the economy on the other side? Right, and and I think this is some you know a fallacy that exists, where the economy and human health or public health are two sides of the same coin. And if the economy is thriving, the economy being a reflection of us, all of us collectively, that means that other elements must also be thriving. You know, we must be seeing wages increase. We, we right. must. Uh, likely see, um, you know, human health outcomes uh, trending in the right direction, and and the inverse is also true during recessions. If the economy is not doing well, um, we tend to see those other indicators also be moving in the wrong direction.
0: What I'm curious about is that when you have something on one hand that's dropping um, GDP that's medically related in your circles as economists, are you, do you bring those other numbers up? Like number of people who are, who are going to be pushing the mental health system, things like that. And maybe that's outside, you uh,
1: but. I mean, definitely outside my field. I mean, there's a lot of concern right now about the, I mean, we, we had a lot of concern in the last recession of the mental health impacts of, of people who are, um, you know, severely dis- depressed in in a scenario where they've long-term unemployed no opportunities out there and it's it can be really dire for a lot of people and and that is uh is draining on us emotionally uh and physically and so um you know the the stay at home order is is uh you know um, its own mental health strain that we're all dealing with being stuck in our houses away from friends and family but i think also the longer we go you're going to have that impact um from a uh, uh from a what does it look like when you have large percentages of the population unemployed and, and uh, financially stressed?
0: Well, we were talking about it in one of our editorial meetings is, you know, everybody talks a lot about the frontline workers at St. Charles. And, you know, we have a, you know, we have appropriate concern. But I we haven't heard about those people in the mental health field. And they're the flip side while this is, you know, we're we're working and we're, we're trying to do everything we can to help them. At the same time, you know, the crisis is exacerbating the situation for some of those um, health professionals. And, Most definitely, yeah. And that's why I was kind of asking about, about those numbers, is is there, you know, we're getting good forecasts in, in a very narrow range for, regarding people with the virus, but I don't get those same kind of stats from the fallout from sequestration
1: yeah and I think that's one of those things we're going to find out after the fact, right and this is sort of it's a new world for all of us, and we know there's an impact happening. The question is just um you know how deep is it and and how severe and how widespread across the population will we see it
0: so just just kind of throwing you a softball, um, maybe you could wax poetic on you know ben's uh next. 60 to 90 days um, you know i know from listening to the webinar you did with the chamber you don't quite have those numbers out yet but but what's the what's the thought for the near future
1: yeah it doesn't look good i mean that's that's for sure we don't we, we're not gonna um let's say we hit the bottom you know this sometime this month as far as the the losing of jobs um i i really don't think that we're going to see um, see the economy bleed much more than than uh, what we'll see by the end of the month or by the middle of the month, um, or I guess we're moving into May here. So <laughs> I guess, you know, the first two weeks of May, I think, is when we'll see the bleeding stop as far as losing jobs. You know, from that point, though, there's a lot of hope then once we start moving into these phases of opening that we're going to start seeing jobs come back. And the answer is, yeah, we are going to see jobs come back. Um, but these phases are incremental, and they're intentionally incremental to make sure that we don't let this health crisis explode in our faces. So um, it means that the jobs are going to come back um, inc- as incrementally, uh, unfortunately, very incrementally, and, and it's going to feel like a slow recovery. And and you know maybe some of these establishments are going to open up at fifty percent employment of what they would normally have, and others will decide in the first phase or two that it doesn't make business sense to open under the restrictions that exist. And so they might not even consider opening until they get to phase two or phase three of the reopening. So um, even though we're going to start getting more of our our, our freedoms back um, as as consumers, um, it doesn't mean that businesses are going to go back to business as usual. And, and there's got to be a lot of effort to get there. Um, and, you know, with new constraints, we might be wearing masks when we go out. Um, you know, we might have to have new hygiene practices. Um, and there's going to be all this effort to, to make it safe for people to go out. Um, but even within that constraint, 60 to 90 days from now, you know, we're still going to be talking double digit unemployment in central Oregon and across the state. Um, you know, how high that unemployment rate's going to go and how long it's going to stay there is still to be determined, but you know, it's, it's not outside the realm of possibility that we'll, we'll hit a 20% unemployment rate. And, you know, we'll still be double digit by the end of uh, 2020.
0: Yeah, but I think any, I mean, I i mean, I know your numbers, so people are looking to you for certainties, but even hearing a little bit of good news that there is a bottom and then you can plan off that, I think is the kind of thing that, you know, business owners want to hear. I mean, at least for our own business, you know, that's what you want to know is that, <laughs> At what point does it start bumping at least a little along so you can get a projection. You can get some kind of like, oh, well, it looks like a year. It looks like six months. Anything helps, you know? Hearing
1: hearing that we're we're pretty close to starting to walk up
0: the staircase
1: again. Mm sounds a lot better than knowing that we're going down the basement still so uh <laughs> yeah potentially to to be flattening out or bottoming out i think i used the term you know we've uh we've bent the curve as far as the unemployment insurance claim filing data so we've we've already we've already passed peak filing um yeah. which is a big indication for us that we're getting close to sort of seeing seeing the
0: bottom of this thing great right? Well, Damon, I'm curious uh, on, a, on a different track. For someone like yourself who's an economist, you must have some area that uh, you like to look at with regard to numbers that you find enjoyable, you know, something that you do as a hobby. What, what would that be? Outside of economics? well no within economics but just oh, okay. not like within the requirements of your job there's got to be yeah. something like you know what is what is a professional economist i'm not a numbers person so <laughs> you know you got to help me here like what, what do you what is fascinating to you right now
1: yeah well before this all happened i was i was uh, a lot of my research was focused on 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 wages and and wage growth um, what do we see when we're in the midst of the longest expansion in U.S. history, as far as wages? Why were they slow to recover early on, and and why, at a time when when the labor when the demand for labor started diminishing uh, towards the end of the expansion, did we start to see some of the strongest wage growth? Some really weird stuff was happening there, and yeah. um, that that always intrigues me. That the type of stuff that um, impacts you know every one of us, and even though we as economists tend to talk in the aggregate, I like to think of um, all economics is each of us individually acting in our, you know, each of us are agents and we aggregate us together. Um, but I like to remember that it's, it's people we're talking about here. And and some of the wage trends I thought was some of the most fascinating work before the COVID. And now, um, you know, we're looking at this, I don't, it as bad and as dire as it is, I don't want to make light of it, but, um, as an economist, I now have a career worth of, um, of research topics that we'll be diving into going forward where uh, this, this is gonna be fascinating. We're already setting up some data systems right now to start tracking some indicators that we've never looked at before, knowing um, what it's gonna, you know, trying to see how it's gonna look like coming out of this, this pandemic um, on the recovery. So um, a lot of excitement about being able to inform the public about um, what we have seen and what we're going to see
0: going forward. Yeah, see, that's the kind of excitement and enthusiasm I was looking for from it. Yeah, like I said, I don't want to sound excited about <laughs>
1: <laughs> losing their jobs, uh-huh. so we got to be
0: careful how we talk about it. But um, uh, professional,
1: uh, uh, definitely some some professional security there, knowing that there's got to be a lot of work in the future.
0: Yeah. Um, well, Damon, anything that you'd like to riff on? I mean, I think we have like a couple minutes left before the end of the of the podcast. That mm-hmm. is particularly of interest to you right now? You know,
1: I, I think one thing that, that we're seeing on on my end is, um, is there's a lot of people, and we didn't really talk about it at all, and, and like I said, I'm becoming sort of more of a spokesperson for the unemployment insurance division, um, and, uh, you know, there's a lot of people afraid right now, and there's a lot of people who are still waiting for their unemployment insurance claim file to go through, and this isn't my job. My job is not to talk about unemployment insurance and how to get it and all that stuff, but it, it has sort of um, become something that I've become passionate about helping share that information. So, you know, if there's a couple things I could say about it. Um, one, we just recently this week um, released or opened up applications for the, the Pandemic Unemployment Assistance, the PUA program. Uh, this is the program that extends um, unemployment insurance for the self-employed, sole proprietors, in um, people who traditionally aren't covered by unemployment insurance, um, there was a lot of excitement and um, anticipation of this. So just letting people know it's out there. It's ready to go apply for this program now. Okay. Um, and uh, and we apologize for the wait times and how long it's taken to process claims. You know, we've we've had 350,000 people fire, file for unemployment insurance. Um, you know, we're talking twice as many people filing for unemployment than we saw in the entire Great Recession, and they did it in a six-week period of time this time around. Um, you know, no excuses, um, but nobody was prepared for something of that you can
0: You can have a little excuse there. I mean, I can't imagine what that staff is going through with that kind of wave cresting over them of work and paperwork. I mean, I, I tell, I mean, we, we furloughed some employees and, you know, I had to tell them that you got to be patient in this process. It's, it's intense. I mean, there's no yeah. way human beings can, can handle that. So, And heart- it's,
1: hard to tell, it's hard to tell people when they're scared and, and don't have any income, you know, to be patient. And, and we understand that and have, you know, have sympathy for that and empathy for that and understand. Um, but yeah, it's, you know, they had 100 people taking claims six weeks ago. And then all of a sudden, they got hit with three hundred fifty thousand unemployment insurance claims. Just um, a totally,
0: yeah. you know,
1: something. You know, imagine that being sat in your lap, you know. And and so that, and, and some terrible computer systems that we have that are old and decrepit and uh, need to be redone. I mean, there's a lot of stuff going on there. And um, and so just, I want folks to know that, um, you know, if they file a the claim and they, and they have um, a confirmation number, um, the unemployment the unemployment insurance division has that claim. They're working on it. It might take you three weeks to get your payment in some cases, in, in really terrible situations, it's taken four weeks. Um, but you're going to get back pay for that period of time. You're going to get that six hundred dollars extra a week from the federal government right now as well. So uh, a lot of money's going out the door. I think last week alone, uh, they sent out one hundred ninety-five million dollars in, in UI claims. So um, money's going to Oregonians right now, and and uh, and, and once again, all we could say is sorry, and and uh, everyone's trying their best right now.
0: Yeah, I think, like I said, I, I think the job they're doing over there is amazing. I mean, it's a it's a monumental task that no one's ever seen before, no one could have prepared for, and uh, yeah, and again, my heart goes out to them. I know some of those people who work in that office, some of our employees are, have spouses in there, and and we hear the stories, so it's- Yeah, yeah, it's yeah
1: that's a little known fact, is we have one of the call centers, we have two call centers uh, for unemployment insurance in the state. One of them's here in Bend, and- uh, and so these are, you know, your neighbors or your friends that are, are trying to take these claims, human beings. So have a little grace for them because, uh, you know, imagine being on the phone all day, every day hearing calls from, you know, scared, angry
0: people. Um, they're trying their best. Yeah, that's that's intense. Well, Damon, thank you for your time. I really appreciate you uh, taking a moment to talk to us about it. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure your prestige and, and knowledge will, will escalate in value as we move forward here. and. and uh, I appreciate you, you know, being a part of this.
1: Yeah, well, thank you for your time and for the platform. I appreciate it. And, uh, and yeah, as, as, um, as much as a bearer of bad news I've been the last few uh, few weeks here, I, I do think that we're starting to see a light at the end of the tunnel. So there's some room for optimism um, uh, in the future for sure.
0: Yeah, that's great. Thanks, Damon. I appreciate cool. it. Thanks yeah. for your time, guys. Bye.